0: Welcome to the Hill City Church podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Good morning, everyone. Psalm 13. Psalm 13 is the scripture we'll be in today. If you want to open your Bibles to Psalm 13, and Michael is going to read it for us. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Awesome. So we've been in Psalms over the the summer. I'm excited to not preach to a video screen, a camera. It's so nice. So there better be a congregation out here today. That's all i got to say. All right. Thank you. Because I've been speaking to a video camera way too long, way too long. We're in Psalms looking at three types of psalms, and one of the types of psalms that we're in today is psalms of lament, psalms of disorientation, when our, when our hearts, our lives are disoriented. and It's a psalm of lament. Now, when we realize we're gonna be coming back today for a church, and I looked at the sermons like, ah, oh, we're on lament, it's like, ah, oh, the first time back. But honestly, I like it. If you know me, I love to sit in heavy things. Um, I listen, to, I, I love music, I listen to music, I predominantly listen to sad music. If you hang out with me and we're playing music, you will hear, there is nothing chipper about it. Um, the, the sadder the better. I mean, there is no topic that's off limits. It can be uh, a guy drinking himself to death, to grandma taking a trip to heaven, to someone dying and wasting away of cancer. I mean, just the sadder the better. I love it. I love it. I love it. I, I sit around at night to kind of relieve stress and play guitar and sing. And I've got around 30 or 40 songs I do and there's not one happy one in it. So anytime you wanna come and get sad, you're welcome to come over to my house and I will sing to you the worst songs ever. And so in, in thinking about that and thinking about lament, I've always felt, you know, thought of myself as someone who knows how to lament, who knows grief, who knows how to sit in sadness. Now, anyone familiar with the Enneagram? the Enneagram people. I'm a 7. Any 7s in the room? Yeah, they're the ones that want to have a good time here, right? So one thing about 7s is it says 7s don't like pain and sadness. And as I was working through the Enneagram, I was like, "Well, that doesn't make sense cuz everything else about a 7 is me, but I love pain. I love sadness." Until Emily looked at me one day and she says, "You know what, Daniel? I don't think you love sadness. I think you love other people's sadness. You're just out of touch with your own." woo yep, she did, she did, and it's true. Like, it is easy for me to live vicariously through someone else's sadness. Now, my, my, my belief's been if I can live vicariously through them wrecking their life, I don't have to do it myself, so that's part of it. But part of it is, I think for years, being out of touch with my own sadness, my own pain, my own story, and this lament, passage, the Psalms, it doesn't let us escape sadness. It doesn't let us escape pain. It invites us to sit in it. Here's the reality. In this world, you will have trouble. Anyone? In this world, we will have trouble. A quote from the movie The Princess Bride, life is pain. Anyone who tells you different is selling you something. In this world, you will have sadness. The Bible, one thing I love about the Bible, the Bible does not lie to us about the reality of life. Does it? The Bible doesn't pretend that, oh, life will be great. If if you um, got duped into Christianity because someone told you, if you just trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, everything else will be great. You got lied to. And the Bible does not tell you that. The Bible is very honest about This world being broken. Matter of fact, Romans chapter eight, Paul's writing about this. He says this, for we know that the whole creation, the whole earth has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth. So Paul wants a metaphor to to show us what the creation, what the earth feels because of the sin and the brokenness of this world and the metaphor is childbirth. Now, I've never done it, but it doesn't look good. Ladies, I and mean, come on, is there anyone here? It doesn't look good. It's pain. It's groaning. And that's the metaphor for what it's like in this world. Paul goes on in verse 23, And not only all of creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. To be a Jesus follower is to groan inwardly for that day when the kingdom comes, when death is no more, when sickness is no more, when COVID is no more. To groan inwardly. And if you have eyes for redemption, for the end of the story, if you have eyes for it, now, not everyone does. We can live like this is it. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. We can live with this is it. But if you have eyes for redemption, the redemption, the goodness that is to come when Jesus comes back and makes all things new, then there should be a groaning that we're not there yet. An inward groaning. And one thing I love about the Bible, the Bible gives us within itself a re- resource for how to groan, for how to grieve, for how to deal with injustice for how to be angry, for how to doubt God, for how to have sadness. The Bible gives us a resource for that. It's it's Psalms. It's Lamentations, some of these different places. There are more Psalms of lament than there are of happiness in your Bible. The Bible gives us language to bring our doubts to God. Let's go verse one, look at this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Here's what David is doing. He is pouring out his feelings unfiltered to the Lord. Here's how I feel, God. You've forgotten me. You're hidden. The rest of my life will be sorrow. My enemies will be exalted that's how he feels and he pours them out now with perspective can we look back and say that's not always true can we do that yes but he doesn't feel it right now see it's this invitation from god this is so cool to pour out our feelings even if those feelings lead us to things that aren't quite true yet like we'll come around to truth but it's invitation pour out your feelings So David's feelings are true. He feels forgotten. He'll have sorrow the rest of his life, That his enemies will be exalted. He feels it. So your feelings are true, but the conclusions those feelings lead you to are not always true. Say it again. Your feelings are true, but the conclusions your feelings lead you to aren't always true, which is why you have to process your feelings, because if you don't do that, you're just going to act them out and believe untruths. So the Bible teaches us our feelings are okay, they're good, they're given us by God. Bring them to the Lord. Psalm, verse three. Consider me and answer me, O Lord, by my God. It's this request, God, here's how I feel. God, I wanna answer. And if you read this verse, verse three, it seems like David has prayed this before. I don't think this is, man, I had a bad day at work, come home. God, where are you? I don't feel it. Consider me and answer me. No, I think, based on these wording, I think David has prayed this over and over and over. And he's saying, God, answer me. Answer me. I've been praying this over and over for years, and I don't know where you are. Answer me, he pleads. And his outlook is bleak. You have been there? You have moments like that? where it's like it's just right in front of you and it's just unfiltered. God, I don't know where you are. I don't understand this world. I don't understand why you allow this to happen. What's going on? And that's what David is doing. He keeps going. He says, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Here's what he's saying. Like, I feel like I'm going to die. All I can see is death and darkness and brokenness. That's all I can see. Light up my lift my eyes. Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message commentary of the Bible, said it like this in a poetic way. He said, He says, I want to look life in the eye, but I can't. All I see is darkness. I wrote a song lyric for my sermon. I want to look life in the eye, but darkness is my closest friend. Now that's a great sad song. That's how David feels. One poet said this, hello darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. It's right in front of him. It's like a fog and he can't see through it. I think about brothers and sisters, people in this room who deal with anxiety or just comes on like that and hits you. And it's like shakes you to your core. Those of you that deal with depression Whereas I've heard it talked about, it's like like I'm in a fog. Like there's a fog all around me and I can't get lifted, I can't lift out of that fog. It's just all around me. To those of us that have fought through addictions, it just feels like those addictions are winning. That's where David is. And the Bible gives us a resource to bring it unfiltered before the Lord, to not have to have it all figured out. theologian named Derek Kidner said this, that is so good. He says, the very presence of prayers like this in scripture is a witness to God's understanding. Look at this sentence. He knows, God knows how men and women speak when they are desperate. Have you ever thought your doubts are too much for God? Your questions are too hard, oh I shouldn't, I shouldn't think that. That your anger is too much, oh I shouldn't be. No. Scripture gives us a way to do that, to to express those things. David is going through trauma. It is all around him. And you can hear the desperation in his voice through this trauma. See, one of the things about trauma is the reality of being powerless. Powerless to not have the power to change your situation or to feel like you have no power to change your situation. And some of you know powerlessness. All of us know at some level. Some of you know what it's like to have a domineering father or mother that beat you down physically or verbally where you had no power as a kid. Some of you know what it's like to have someone, another human power over you, physically, emotionally, Being powerless is one of the most traumatic things that we can go through in life, and that's what David feels. He has no power, he feels like, to change his situation. I wrote this sermon like three weeks ago. I actually recorded it about three weeks ago in preparation for, for this Sunday on video. And then last week we had a forum with the elders, the elders got together with minorities in our church just to hear them and listen with, with the stuff that's going on in our country. And one of the themes, and I already had it in my notes that but it came up that night, is the reality of being powerless. And as we look at some of the hurt and pain and frustration in our community, specifically in our black community, it's years of being powerless. It's years of feeling like I can't change the system, I can't change this oppression, I can do nothing about it. And being powerless leads us into anger, into rage, in, in, into fighting, like that's where powerless leads us and all of us know powerlessness, every single one of us. As a matter of fact, where you want to control things in your life, you have a, a desperate need for control. Where that is, is where you are trying to heal wounds of powerless from the past. Where you need control is where you are trying to heal the wounds of being powerless. And that's what David feels. So Psalm 13 is written, and it gives an individual language to express these feelings, these hurts, these doubts to God. But if you look at the very beginning of Psalm 13, what's it say? But even before verse one, it says to the choir master. This is a song. We don't have the tune. I don't know what it sounded like. It's a song meant for the people of Israel to sing together. See, one of the important elements of lament is a community lamenting together. You know that you are here because of a Savior that knows how to lament on behalf of others? Jesus comes into Jerusalem. He comes over the hill and he can see Jerusalem in the distance and he sees all these people who are chanting, oh, Jesus, you're going to come and you're going to restore us, but he knows they don't understand. And Jesus cries out, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you. Like a hen gathers her young, but you are unwilling. He laments for them. Jesus shows up, and a guy named Lazarus has died, and Lazarus' family is weeping and wailing. They've seen death. Their their beloved patriarch is dead, and Jesus comes up on the scene, and he sees this all happening. Now, Jesus comes up knowing that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knows that that guy is going to be dead much longer. But Jesus rose up, and it's the shortest verse. What's it say? Jesus wept bitterly because people he loved were weeping and mourning, and he joined in knowing he was about to change things. Christians, Hill City Church, what if we learned how to lament on behalf of others? To join others in the sorrow and frustration. What if we listened what if we held our opinions loosely what if we joined our black community in lamenting over years of powerlessness in this country and the frustrations they still feel What if we lamented with them? And at the same time, what if we lamented on behalf of a a police officer in our church that has to go tell his wife and kids goodbye as he goes to work anxious during these times? See, as believers, we've got to be able to lament for both. We don't have to choose. It's weep with those who are weeping. The Bible, weep with those who are weeping. And part of communal lament, part of the beauty of the church and its design is that we can come alongside those lamenting and say, yes, I feel it, I hear you. I don't always understand you, but I hear you. Now, verse 15, keep it on the screen. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Now, here's what verse 16 does not say, if you agree with them. It doesn't say rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, if you agree with them, if you agree with their opinion, No, weep, rejoice, come alongside. See, for followers of Jesus, we have in the person of Jesus hope in the midst of this, but we have a savior, Jesus, who knows lament, who knows darkness, that Jesus came, took on flesh, took on sin, took took on a, a sinful body, a human body, and, lived a life, lamenting on others, fighting for the oppressed, loving those who are outsiders, died for sin, resurrected from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and we have a Savior that knows lament. Here's what Hebrews 4.14 says, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Look at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. See, here's what the Bible teaches. We have a Savior that took on flesh that knows what you're going through. We have a Savior that knows chains, physical chains. We have a Savior that was called a criminal who was actually innocent. We have a Savior who was unjustly killed. We have a Savior who saw the oppressed. We have a Savior who broke down cultural divides, we have a Savior that understands what we're going through and what lament does. It invites us to acknowledge, here's the world we live in, here's how I feel, but then it invites us to take ownership and begin to turn our hurts and our doubts and our fears to God. Verse 16 of Hebrews says this, because we have this high priest that's able to sympathize, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy Christian, there's nothing you are going through that Jesus can't say, I felt you. Jesus, giving up his power on the cross, crying out, God, why have you forsaken me? God, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Jesus knows powerless, letting his power go on behalf of others. So lament, true lament, invites us to take ownership and invites us to begin to look at our circumstances differently. Let's go to verse 5. Here's what David says. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So you see this progression. The first couple of verses, God, where are you? I don't feel you. The next few verses, God, answer me. I need you. I can't even see Like darkness all around me. And now you see this shift. But... I have trusted in your steadfast love. And now, I don't think this is a nice little Sunday school like, oh, here's what's going on, but I'm going to trust you, Jesus. I don't think it's that. I think it is desperation. God, where are you? I don't know what's going on. All I can see is darkness. I can't get it out of this, but I will trust you. It's a fight. You hear it? It's a fight to trust. The, the best example I can give, my daughter Erin was three or four years old and she had to get tonsil surgery, okay, scary thing for for me, I'm I'm scared of those things, and so we go, she doesn't understand what's going on, and here comes this moment where these doctors come and I have to hand my child over to them for them to take her away, and she has no idea, we're playing, we're having fun, and when the doctors come to get her and I hand her over, terror in her face, and she like tries to reach for me and I have to push her away and do this, let go, that's how David feels. I am scared to death, but doctors, I will trust you. That's David here. I don't understand. I'm angry. I don't believe you're here. But I will trust you in the midst of this. See, what lament does is when we allow ourselves to go that are unfiltered, where our hearts are, the spirit of Jesus begins to do something in us. It's true lament. And it has a beautiful purpose in scripture. But here's the reality. Americans, we are not good at lament. Like the moment lament wants to come into my life, where I'm allowed to feel my pain or, or others or, or on behalf, of, there's always something to pull me out. You get sad? Well, good, I can pull out my phone and I can go shopping right now. I I begin to feel grief, Well, I can go drink a lot. I begin to feel sadness, frustration. Well, fantasy football, that'll distract me. Food, hookups, party, work, porn, like name it. There's always something to distract us to pull us out of lament. You guys, is it just me? You feel it? Like we hate lament, we hate to sit in the sadness And so, therefore, we just pull ourselves out into something else and not have to feel it. But if we would allow ourselves to sit there, we would begin to see what David experienced, that the Spirit actually works in the midst of it. Even in our groups, in your city groups, tell me if this doesn't happen. You have 10 or 12 people together. We're in a circle. We're talking about stuff. And someone goes there, sadness, grief, sin struggles, just just, just, ah, brings it. Isn't there always someone in the circle that just like makes a joke or sarcasm or humor or something to pull us out? You felt it? I started calling it out. I'm like, why do we need to do that? Can we sit in this? See, lament, true lament, true grief, it's a gift. Because it's in that grief that life begins to come. Those that know grief can know celebration. One of the things I'm convinced, um, again, yeah, my brothers and sisters in the black community, they, they know how to party. They know how to dance, they know how to move. I'm like a statue, right? Like when, there, there's an expressiveness that's so beautiful, and you know why? I know lament, no know sadness. But that comes out of that true lament, brings praise. So let me say it like this. Lament is the crossroads of sorrow and praise. Sorrow, sadness, doubts, concerns, and praise. That's where lament is. It's death and resurrection. Have you allowed yourselves to lament? Have you allowed yourselves to lament on behalf of others? Because what lament does is it helps us gain perspective, because David moves from God, you don't even care about me too, I will trust. Okay, what changed? Did David's circumstances change? No, his circumstances didn't change, his perspective changed, and that's what lament does. Lament, true lament brings a perspective that leads us to trust. So Psalm 13, David's words become words for us all? What if the fears, the doubts, the frustrations, the anger that, we, that maybe you've experienced over the past few months, what if you use this model of Psalms to begin to pour that out to the Lord? What if we did that together and David's words becomes our words? Because what happens then is David's truths become our truths. Here's the truth. I want you to hear me. God is passionately committed to you if you're a believer. He is passionately committed to you and it has nothing to do with your performance, your right position, your right words, your good praying. It's because of His steadfast love, period. And lament reminds us of that. It reminds us it's not based on me. Yes, I can pour it out to God, but it's ultimately based on his steadfast love. And that's what David does, and it points him back to God. Can you allow yourself to lament, to grieve, and in doing so, be pointed back to what is true and right? Can we do that together? Let's pray.